Hello, and welcome to the Relatable Homeschoolers Podcast, where four homeschooling mamas with a combined 32 years of experience homeschooling our 12 kids, and our homeschools are anything but Pinterest perfect. Whether you are a veteran homeschooler, a new homeschooler, or just homeschool curious, we want to encourage you in your homeschooling journey and offer you practical tips and tools to make your homeschooling life easier. We're so glad you're here. I'm Harmony Harkema. My co-hosts are Annie Carlson, Heather Gerwing, and Lindsay Hufford. Welcome to episode six of the Relatable Homeschoolers. We're going to be talking about homeschool philosophies. It's helpful when talking about homeschool curriculum and homeschool ideology to have a common vocabulary. So that's what we're hoping to establish with this podcast. Give you some common terms, some common philosophies that can help guide your decision making when looking at a schedule, a curriculum, a lifestyle for your family homeschool. Traditionally, people tend to think that homeschooling is a decision that's made out of a desire to teach within your faith and that parents leave the public schools because of the separation of church and state. And while it's true that there are a lot of homeschool curriculums that focus on a faith-centered approach, often a Christian approach, it is also true that there are a wide variety of non-faith-based curriculums available and that if you find a faith-based curriculum that you like, you can modify it so that you are not faced with using a faith-based curriculum in your home. There's all kinds of room to do what is best for your family from a religious or non-religious standpoint. Well said, Harmony. Lindsay, would you like to talk about a traditional approach, sometimes referred to as the school at home approach? Sure. So I think a lot of homeschoolers, when we first get started, we're doing school at home, whether we realize it or not, especially if we haven't had either the time or the desire to research the fact that there are actually other philosophies of educating our kids at home. I know we've talked in some previous episodes that several of us really had more of a school at home approach in the beginning and have shifted as we've learned more about philosophies and about our own kids. So when we say school at home, we're talking about a home school approach that looks like you took the classroom and you put it in your living room, dining room, or school room even if you have a dedicated school room. So that's going to look like textbooks and workbook learning for the most part. The parent as a teacher, so maybe you'll have a blackboard or a whiteboard and you're up there teaching the lessons as a teacher would in a public or private school classroom. For many of the parents who are choosing that approach, they're going to choose to use, like I said, workbooks and textbooks, which those may come from a homeschool publisher or it may come from a more traditional publisher like Houghton Mifflin who supplies textbooks to schools. Harmony, what about the term classical? You hear it tossed around a lot, a classical education, classical training. What exactly is the classical philosophy? The classical philosophy kind of has two arms today. There is 
a neoclassical approach and then what's known as the liberal arts tradition. The foundation is the teachings that we found in ancient Greece. So think Sophocles, Aristotle, and how they ran their classrooms with three stages of development. The grammar stage, which is like elementary, the dialectic stage, which is roughly middle school, and then the rhetoric stage, which is high school. But there's a focus in classical education on reading great books on developing effective communication skills, so reading, writing, speaking, use of logic. Students often study classical Latin and the formation of the moral imagination through story and myth. And so basically students come away from a classical education really knowing how to learn. They're learning how to learn and how to communicate, which is an important skill no matter what you do with your life. But it's based in ancient Greek methods brought into the modern world. Some examples would be classical conversations, which could also be considered kind of a cottage school approach. That's a nationwide organization. The Scholay Sisters, which is a podcast and a website. The Well-Trained Mind, Susan Wise Bowers program, which has lessons and books for history and literature and the arts, and then classical academic presses curriculums, some of which are more of an out-of-the-box curriculum, but in the classical vein. Now, Harmony, you utilize a fairly Charlotte Mason approach. Can you share with us what you're doing and how that relates to Charlotte Mason philosophy? Charlotte Mason was the pioneer of homeschooling in Great Britain. She lived at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. Charlotte Mason was known for having 20 principles of education, the first principle of which kind of supersedes all the rest, which is that children are born persons. So the approach is kind of like your child is already a person with opinions and ideas, and you come alongside that child. Her approach involves the use of what Charlotte Mason called living books. So rather than textbooks, you would be learning learning science and history through story, through narratives, well-told stories. So lots of living books and then habit training, teaching our children to, well, how to behave themselves <laughs> in all situations. So good habits and not just hygiene, but how to conduct yourself, how to think about other people, how to have a charitable demeanor. Nature study was also a big part of Charlotte Mason. She encouraged people to spend a lot of time outdoors. She didn't live in the deep south like I do, where it's 100 degrees every day in the summertime. So lots of nature study and then a big emphasis on spreading a liberal arts feast. She called it providing children with a feast of ideas. So looking at art and art history, studying classical music and composers, also time for handicrafts, things like sewing, knitting, crochet, any kind of a handicraft where you're developing a skill that, that she recognized that that also enriches the mind. And then even living math, very hands-on math, you know, counting objects and applying math rather than just on worksheets, but in a more living way. So with manipulatives. And then the key skill that you develop in a Charlotte Mason education is called narration, where children listen to read alouds or read something themselves. And then they tell you what they learned from it. So they can tell back the story in their own words or express what they loved about it and learn to synthesize. So it kind of falls in with the highest levels of Bloom's taxonomy of learning, that they're synthesizing the information they've taken 
taken in. And it's been recognized as a really strong way to facilitate retaining what they've taken in from what they're reading and learning. So some examples of Charlotte Mason curriculum would be Ambleside Online. They give you schedule grids and book lists. Their goal is to keep it affordable. So almost everything is public domain and available on the internet to make it reasonable for families. And then there's also Simply Charlotte Mason, which has a lot of great unit studies. Their picture study portfolios are wonderful and their composer studies, as well as there's spelling and nature study texts and all kinds of things. And then finally, the curriculum, A Gentle Feast, which hasn't been around very long, but has been well liked by everyone who's tried it that I've talked to. I love that. Thanks, Harmony. A couple other homeschool philosophies that you often hear mentioned in regards to younger children, Waldorf and Montessori. Elements of them are the same. Both of them want children to experience the world around them and to be active in the world. Rudolf Steiner is the originator of the Waldorf philosophy. He wanted an emphasis on the whole child. He wanted the instruction to closely match specific stages of child development. He wanted arts to be a central part of each facet of the curriculum, and then wanted to focus the curriculum on the different intelligences that human beings can have. He wanted an awareness in each subject, tactile, active, into the world, and an arts center to the Waldorf curriculum. And then Montessori, also working with the child and making it very child-centered. In Montessori, works with children at their own pace. They wants to instill curiosity, and Montessori will tend to break up lessons into smaller chunks to be more hands-on. Montessori also has a strong element of physical world learning. So setting the table, learning to cook, clean, be an active part of the world is an important part of Montessori training. Montessori also works on self-discipline and making sure children can engage in the world, work together. And Time for Learning does work with the Montessori program uh, fairly well. And then for Waldorf, if you're interested in pursuing that, there's a, a few different curriculums that work with the Waldorf curriculum. Again, they're similar in the fact that they really focus on the whole child, but differ kind of in their approach and focus on arts and real world hands-on. Lindsay, I know you have done some unit studies. Can you share with us what are unit studies and how have you used them? We did some unit studies mostly when my kids were younger, but we still kind of continue today, especially when my kids are seem to be really interested in a specific topic. So that's kind of what unit studies are. You focus in on a specific topic for a period of time, whether that is interest-led or if it's kind of a designated period of time. So for example, my oldest, when he was about five, got really into sharks. So we learned a lot about sharks and we kind of just shifted all of our homeschooling to focus on as much about sharks as possible. We learned about all the different kinds of sharks. We did math with story problems about sharks. We cooked cookies that were shark shaped and then decorated them. I really loved the unit study approach, like I said, especially when my kids were younger, but you can do it when kids are older too. If you have older kids who are really into World War II, you can do a World War II unit study. My daughter for a period of time was really 
probably into the Middle Ages, but specifically the plague, which was um, a little worrisome at times. We thought she was kind of dark, but she really got into it. And so we just learned as much as we could about that one thing. I love unit studies for that aspect is you really get to deep dive a subject rather than just getting a surface level view of it. One resource that I have used for unit study purposes is called Teachers Pay Teachers. It's a website. There's a search function. You can look up any topic that you want. So for example, I have a friend whose kids are really into Pokemon right now, and you can look up Pokemon on Teachers Pay Teachers, and there might be some worksheets or some activity ideas on there that post on Pokemon. Or like I said, sharks. We've also done stuff on airplanes. I had a child that was really interested in airplanes. Another unit study curriculum thing to look at is called Konos. That is more of a character trait unit study. So your kids are focusing on a specific character trait over the course of their study. And also unitstudy.com is a place where you can purchase different unit studies by topic as well. I love being able to dig in with one kid's passion and just let it go. Just follow that rabbit trail as far as your family wants to go. Oh, yeah. One of the books that was gifted to me when I first started homeschooling was Lori Pickard's project-based homeschooling book. And it was gifted to me by a seasoned homeschooler mom. And she said, this just seems like something your family would enjoy. And she was absolutely right. Project-based homeschooling is something that we have added as an integral part of our homeschooling. It's not the only philosophy that we use, but this book just gave me so much encouragement to let my kids do projects. One of the things uh, that Lori shares with the reader is that she never tells her kids no. And at first I was like, what? What do you mean you don't tell your kids no? But let them investigate and let them put together their project until they run into the roadblock. Even if you look at what you know they are asking to do and you think, oh my gosh, it'll never work. Don't tell them that. Let them figure that out for themselves. And so that's something that John and I have used with our kids' projects on the farm or little businesses that they wanted to start. We had them do the work and just use that book, Project-Based Homeschooling. The subtitle is Mentoring Self-Directed Learners. And so letting kids pursue their passions, interests, and it really helps guide you as the mentor, not the teacher, the mentor. They're learning on their own. It's a great book. It's a great philosophy. It's really paid off dividends for my kids. I really recommend, if that's not your only homeschooling philosophy, adding that piece, kind of mindset to your kids' education. Now, I know, Heather, you have used technology in your homeschool. What have you used and what advice do you have for us? There's so many ways that we can use technology in our homeschool. And even though it might be technology-based, some technology might fall under some of the other philosophies that we're talking about as well, depending on how it's used. In our home, we've used teaching textbooks for math. They have CDs or even now they have it strictly online where you don't need the CDs. It can just all be accessed through their website. Some other things that we've used for technology-based when my kids were younger, we did phonics apps like reading eggs. And even this past summer, my kids were using the computers and they were using a website, Type Dojo, to learn typing. We have repeatedly 
used things like YouTube or Netflix or Disney Plus. When my kids were in French, their teacher sent them YouTube videos every week so that they could hear the French being spoken by somebody else and they would have to listen to it and hear how other people had conversations. Disney Plus right now, our family has really been enjoying the National Geographic series that's on there. And it's very educational. We are learning so much. There are some curriculums that are completely online that will cover every subject that you need to study. It will have your math and your language arts and your history and your science all in one. We haven't used that, but I know there are curriculums online that are available if you want that type of approach where everything is taken care of. We haven't used Apologia High School, but I do know that some of their curriculums now have thumb drives and you can watch complete lectures and you can watch the experiments and the labs and everything that online for you to watch if you need that technology to help you in your homeschool. There really are so many wonderful options for parents who don't want to search out different curriculums or be the teacher. Lindsay, I know that your family is an unschooling family and is loving it. So share with us a little bit about unschooling. Yeah, we have started to, I think, move into more of an unschooling space for our family. I think unschooling kind of gets a bad rap a lot. People think when they hear the word unschooling, like I just let the kids sit around and do nothing all day. And uh, that's definitely not the case. When I think of unschooling, I just think take whatever your typical picture of school was and just remove as much of that as you can from the equation of learning. So for us, unschooling means a lot of switching the power dynamics. When I talked about traditional or school at home earlier, you know, the parent really is the teacher. And I know, Annie, you had mentioned talking earlier, like the parent as a mentor or as a coach. And that is a big part of unschooling. I see myself as a co-learner and a mentor to my kids when I'm thinking of unschooling. I am not the one making all the decisions. They are making a lot of the decisions. For example, I talked to my kids about what they wanted to learn about for science this year, and they chose biology and chemistry. So that's what we're going to be teaching for science this year. My son, is really interested in learning more about computer science and software engineering and coding. We are making sure that there's time in his day for him to do that, which is a great thing about homeschooling. We do have extra time in the day where he can kind of pursue those passions. My daughter is very into art. So a lot of her school day looks like a lot of art. For example, she can tell me what she learned in her history readings by drawing me something or creating a pamphlet or something like that. I think unschooling in general, it just really focused on the child's interests and learning through life experiences and creating self-driven learners. Because if you think about it as an adult, I don't go around learning about a whole lot of things that I don't like unless I really need to like taxes or something like that. But for the most part, I'm learning about things that interest me. And that's a great way for kids to learn too. We retain so much more when we're interested in the topics. And I think unschooling looks different for lots of families too. Like I don't really consider myself a full unschooler yet because we still do use some curriculum, but a lot of parents don't use any specific curriculum when they unschool or they use things like OutSchool, which is a website where you can take online classes. So you can really cater to your kids' interests in that way. I know OutSchool has a Harry Potter chemistry class and all kinds of really interesting history classes that I've been seeing pop up lately or something like a Khan Academy where the same thing. My kids are going to 
to be using that for some of their science this year, they can find a topic that they're interested in or maybe a foreign language or something like that and utilize either things online, the library, or traditional curriculums can also be helpful in this way. Or even things like finding a local group if your kid is really into woodworking, which I know this is, you know, kind of different in the current times we're in with COVID-19, but finding a group that's into woodworking locally or looking to internships and apprenticeships for hands-on learning as your kids get older. Unschooling is really interesting and it's something I'm excited to learn more about. I was at our state's homeschooling conference a couple of years ago and sat in on a presentation by a veteran homeschool mom who was talking about reverse engineering a transcript for high school. And I thought, oh, this sounds like something I would like to listen to. And so she was talking about doing an unschooling philosophy and then reverse engineering the transcript from that. So she used her son as an example who wanted to become a pilot. He wanted to get his pilot's license. And so rather than from the mom slash teacher perspective of saying, okay, you you can do your pilot training after you finish all of your subjects. She said, what is it going to take to become a pilot? Meteorology and physics, you know, all of these things. And then she turned that into his high school transcript. Even just playing off of your kids' desires and interests and passions, you can make a curriculum out of that. You don't have to do that in addition to a full curriculum. And I think that's the beauty that we see in unschooling is really working with your children in crafting an education lifestyle. Heather, I know that you and your family have really embraced the eclectic style of homeschooling. Tell us what that looks like for you and what kind of defines eclectic. I would define eclectic as take everything that we've talked about so far, put it in a pot and stir it up. (laughs) It's basically taking what suits you or interests you from each philosophy, right? So for example, for my family, we use an online math curriculum. So that would fall under technology-based. We use classical for our uh, language arts curriculum. We use the um, first language arts and we use a unit study for history. Like Lindsay said, you know, you take a period in time and you study that history. So that's more of a unit study. So we don't use one curriculum manufacturer or one curriculum philosophy or style of learning. We use what we like from each of the philosophies. This year, we are going to do nature study, which would fall under Charlotte Mason. And my kids also do handwriting workbooks. So that would fall under more of a traditional school. It really is just finding out what works for you and your family and your kids. And it's not going to be you use every single philosophy. Every homeschooler is eclectic to a degree, right? Yes, there are some hardcore homeschoolers that will only use Charlotte Mason style or they will only use classical. But most of the homeschoolers I know are eclectic to a degree. We use what fits our family. I'd agree with that. I think that especially over time, you just figure out what works for your family and for your kids. And if that comes from a lot of different approaches, that's just great. I think we especially 
wanted in this episode just to give you some tools and some language for talking about curriculum. We in no way want you to feel like you should choose just one philosophy. And actually, probably all of us, if pressed, would say we're eclectic, that we may have one kind of core philosophy or a mix of core philosophies, but that we branch out and do what works for our kids and what seems interesting in the moment or for their stage of development. So we just want you to know as you look for curriculum and consider different things that you are able to recognize the different philosophies where they're mentioned. And if you see a curriculum labeled that you can have in your back pocket what that means. And we definitely want you to feel free to pick and choose because we certainly feel free to pick and choose. What is exciting and also equally terrifying when you're a new homeschool parent is that there are so many choices. So hearing from you saying we're pretty much all eclectic if pressed is comforting. We don't have to pick a philosophy. We can try and move and it's kind of fluid, right? We don't have to be locked into one philosophy. It is fluid based on time and circumstance and our children and our teaching ability and style. It's just an encouragement to hear that we're all kind of eclectic. One of my favorite things that I go back to a lot is something that Pam Barnhill said, and I think she said it multiple times on multiple podcasts and in articles and blog posts. The best homeschool curriculum is whichever one will get done, whatever that looks like for you. So not to overwhelm yourself, but pick something that you're comfortable with and that makes sense for your kids. And you know that's going to be the biggest road to success. And Sarah McKenzie also, she says often, the curriculum is the tool. You're not teaching the curriculum, you're teaching your children. And so the curriculum curriculum is just a tool to have to help you do whatever it is you need to do. And if the curriculum isn't working for you, then you look for a different way. We're not tied to our curriculum. Absolutely. Now, I know that different parts of the country, different states have different rules on things like charter schools or online schools or even co-ops, even though these may be options in certain parts of the country or certain states. Can we talk a little bit about what these are? So if I'm trying to find one in my area, I know what I'm looking for. What would you term a cottage school to be? Yeah, a cottage school would be a setting where... And in the pandemic situation, this might not actually happen physically, but normally where kids would go somewhere a day or two a week and they would learn from teachers at the cottage school. So the parent would not be teaching and then they would have work to complete on their own at home on the days that they're not at the cottage school. And there may still be some cottage schools that are functioning online. So that is a possibility, I think, still even in the COVID-19 environment that we're in. Classical conversations, I think, would actually be considered like a cottage school in the classical vein, but cottage schools can sort of run the gamut. Now, what about accredited online schools? How do I know if it's accredited? How do I find them? What am I looking for if I want to pursue that option? Yeah, so an accredited online school would have a curriculum that's preset. So in this case, you're not choosing curriculum. You would pick the school for their curriculum. Your son or daughter would have to complete the coursework that's laid out by the school, do all the assignments, probably show up for online classes or turn in work. You probably would not be rating that work. Some are sort of like old-fashioned, like if you think of a mail order class where you're sending things in online, you might submit the work that's being done. So again, the parent's not teaching, but the child is still at home. And then what about a co-op? How does a co-op different from, say, a cottage school or classical conversations? 
In the co-op setting, the ones I'm familiar with, it's the parents who are the teachers. So where Harmony was saying like a cottage school, there's other paid professionals who are teaching your children. At a co-op situation, it's literally a cooperative. Families are coming together and I might be teaching other families' kids science, but then another mom is teaching my kids and other kids history. And another mom is teaching a group of kids phys ed or art. So our co-op has pretty much a regular kind of class schedule that you can choose from. Like every hour we have three or four classes for each grade broken down. Our co-op goes kindergarten to second grade and third grade through fifth grade, sixth through eighth, and then high school. For instance, my high schooler, each hour she has three or four classes that she can choose from to take. And we're not meeting this year because of the pandemic, but she was going to be taking astronomy and photography. She was even going to have a study hall one hour because she didn't like any of the classes that were offered one hour. And co-ops really can range from being core academics, like what Heather's talking about, to being more of a enrichment type of co-op with fun classes that are there so that your kids are being socialized because we all recognize that socialization is such a concern. But our co-op is an enrichment co-op, so it's kind of like elective courses. And some of them may count more for like a general science class. My daughter's had, you know, human anatomy, but they also can be like a chess class or a baking class or a handicrafts class of some kind. So they can really run the range. For every personality, there is a co-op out there. Somebody has thought of it and the parents may have different responsibilities. Ages may be broken down differently, but chances are you can find something that floats your boat. Our co-op definitely had the whole range. So it had everything, like I said, from photography or swing dancing to actual, you know, classes that you needed on your high school transcript. My favorite class that one of my kids took in elementary school was crock pot cooking. We took all the ingredients in our crock pot. They made the meal. It cooked all day and we brought home dinner every week from co-op and it was beautiful. That's amazing. We're kind of in a unique, it's actually called a homeschool group and it's probably somewhere between a co-op and a cottage school because we do have paid teachers and it's a drop off, which has worked really well for me. I like having the break one day a week and my kids love the other teachers they have and they love the kids. Similar to Heather's co-op, there is a range from your core classes to just about any elective you can think of. And in years past, my kids have taken their core classes But this year, they all chose electives. What we have going on is kind of rare, but I would just encourage you to look and see what's in your local area because you won't know unless you check. Yeah, in my local area, we also have something called tutorials. There are a number of them. And this is where you can buy one class at a time. So again, the parent's not the teacher. You are dropping your child off for a class, kind of like a university class, if you think about it in that way. But some of them are at churches who have big facilities and they're not necessarily affiliated with the church to just meet there in a classroom setting. Others at community centers, they rent the space and you pay for the class. They're especially popular with the high school crowd for classes like biology and chemistry, physics, algebra, trigonometry, classes that maybe parents feel like they need some more help with or that would be costly to do at home. Taking school on the road, especially during this pandemic time, we all know of some people who are doing this. Being able to work remotely, parents are kind of packing up the van or the RV and hitting the road, taking trips, seeing the world uh, and using that as the vehicle 
pun intended, for education. How can new homeschool parents maybe incorporate some of these elements and use them as educational tools? Well, homeschooling is very portable. If you don't have, you know, a ton of equipment, some people can, you know, pack their homeschooling materials into one milk crate and throw it in the back of the car. I know a couple of families who are working from home technically. So as long as they have Wi-Fi, they can travel somewhere. Mom and dad can work from their RV or whatever and kids can school and you can study the local flora and fauna or visit historical sites and that's your history and geography all wrapped up into one. Road schooling, isn't that what they're calling it? Road schooling or world schooling are a couple of terms tossed around. Tish Oxenreiter, she's a well-known blogger, took her family on the road for a year. They traveled around the world. They homeschooled the entire time and she wrote a book about it. It's called At Home in the World. Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, wherever they went, they were taking their books with them. Yeah. And they really literally just traveled with like backpacks. So I know one thing that she mentions in that book specifically is that, you know, each kid had a Kindle. I know that my husband likes to joke that we could probably just have our phones and our Kindles and, you know, do the majority of our kids' education. My husband's company just announced that they will be working from home until at least January. And we have kind of joked a few times that if it wasn't for my flower farming responsibilities right now, we would hit the road somewhere. We're starting to seriously think about once the gardens are all put to bed in the fall and everything is ready to go, maybe for December and January heading out on a little adventure. We have added elements of this to our regular homeschool life. Last summer, we went out to Montana to visit some family and on the way stopped at Battle of the Little Bighorn. So on the way out, we listened to the book on audio called The Greasy Grass, the native perspective, the military perspective, the scout mule Skinner perspective. And then we're able to stand there and say, that is the hill that, you know, he was talking about. That was the the river that she was washing in and just really brought those places to life, integrating a literary element with being right on the physical places. We're doing it again this summer. We're heading to the Black Hills and we're going to be listening to the book, The Lakota and the Black Hills. And so being able to just put some perspective on where we will be is important to us. And that's just a small element. Some of you parents are probably probably already doing that when you're on vacation or you're visiting places, already putting perspective out there for your children. And so you've maybe been homeschooling all along and didn't know it. Is there anything else that we want to add as far as philosophy discussion, ladies? I would just say, I think in the beginning of my homeschool journey, I got a little bit too wrapped up in the philosophies and not concerned enough about why I was looking into them or what was going to work best for my family. And I know that we've all kind of mentioned that we have all tended towards a more eclectic style. So I would just as an encouragement, say, do your research. And definitely if one feels right for you, give it a try, but also realizing that, you know, nothing is permanent. And if it's not working, you can try something else. Or if elements of it are working, keep those elements and then add other things in. That's the beauty of homeschooling is that we get to be so flexible. Like we've talked about in this conversation between philosophy or where you're schooling or how you're schooling, that flexibility is a real gift and just don't let that pass by. Well, I think that is a great place to end and excellent advice, Lindsay. Thank you for sharing that. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode discussing different philosophies. Don't be afraid to investigate, try different things. Above all, let your children be your guide. Ladies, before we leave, we like to use this fun question as kind of a roundup. What is saving your homeschool right now? Lindsay, let's start with you. I think vacation. We just had a short camping trip last week to a really cool campground, if you're ever in Michigan, um, called Port Crescent State Park, where you can camp right on the shore of Lake Huron. It was a really neat experience to go beach camping on a great lake. It's a beautiful area, has a really relaxed feel, and there's also a dark sky preserve as part of the park. So we got to see some really incredible nighttime sky views. And then uh, we were home for a couple days, and then we headed for a quick trip to Pittsburgh, which is the area where I grew up. And we went to visit an old college friend, and then we took our kids back to our college campus where my husband and I met. So it was just some really special family time and a nice break. Harmony, what about you? I am reading a book right now that's really encouraging me. We're getting ready to start the new school year too. And I always like to read something inspiring around that time. Uh, It's Sally Clarkson, Awaking Wonder. And I've been reading Sally Clarkson for a long time. Many people know her as sort of a motherhood guru and family life guru, but she homeschooled her kids back in these 80s and 90s when homeschooling was less widespread. And she and her husband built their own philosophy of homeschooling and they have a book actually it's called educating the wholehearted child which kind of reflects a lot of the philosophies we've talked about today her book is on the thinking behind homeschooling as a way of character formation to raise kids who are strong and resilient compassionate and for Sally she's a Christian so it's God focused and faith focused with a strong foundation in Christ and it's just been a great read Heather, what about you? Right now, it's not any particular thing, but just my planning time right now. So I am in the process where I've got most of the curriculum in the mail and going through everything and taking the time to plan it out. And for kids, I have elementary, middle, and high school. So just that planning And for me, what is saving my homeschool right now is kind of similar to Heather. It's uh, yellow legal pads. I am sketching out not only my three kids, pulling books from our library, making sure I have what we need. We're going on vacation next week. And so when we return from vacation, we'll we'll get back into um, full-fledged curriculum type homeschooling rather than our abbreviated summer version, but just kind of sketching it out. I'm also helping a friend who's homeschooling for the first time work on curriculum for her high school age daughters. And so that's been fun for me as a, a trained high school teacher to kind of wet my feet into what my kids will be coming into in a few years, but it's been fun to kind of work ahead. So yellow legal pads are where I'm sketching things out and making note and making plans. So that's what's saving my homeschool right now. You've been listening to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find links to all the books and resources we mention on the show at our website, therelatablehomeschoolers.com. We would love to hear your homeschooling questions. You can email us at therelatablehomeschoolers at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Relatable Homeschoolers. We'd love it if you leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. It only takes a minute and we'll ensure more homeschooling mamas get to hear our show. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, happy homeschooling schooling.